Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. So one thing that I have is a quote from Kathy in a podcast episode was that she was talking about uh, the best reward for horses in a training situation is when you leave. So when you stop everything and you're just leaving their environment. Yeah, that's definitely something that I've heard in negative reinforcement and some, you know, something I've heard people say. And I think it is true a lot of the time, but it's definitely sad. Like that's a sad way to see your interaction with your horse. I mean, I mean, not just to see it, but to be true. Like that's just a sad relationship to where, you know, the best thing is when you leave. Yeah, I don't want to bash on Alexandra Curlin because I think a lot of her work is good, but that was one thing I remember from her book was saying that leaving is the best reward to the horse, and she does use mixing, and I didn't realize it when I read the book, but she'll use pressure and release and then the cherry on top of the clicker, and I mean, if if you're leaving is the best reward, you might want to change the interactions you're having with your horse. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I think any sort of um, training can benefit from the idea that like, oh, you know, once you make some progress, it's a good idea to end the session there and to give the horse a break and to not carry things on too long. But that doesn't mean that you leaving is the best reward or whatever. Like, that's just not the ideal really I mean whenever I leave my horses are like where are you going can you come back and like keep working with us (laughs) and like that's I mean it's because I have food yes but they're having fun and they're getting you know something that is positively reinforcing to them and you know that's positive in my opinion I mean I'm using positive both in the sense of positive reinforcement and in the sense of like good but yeah um But I think, you know, I would like my horses to enjoy what we're doing together, even if yes, it is at least partially because there is this, you know, extrinsic motivator of the food. That's fine. There's got to be some extrinsic motivator and I'd rather it be food than be pressure. Yeah, I agree completely. Obviously, I don't want horses to feel stressed or anxious about me leaving and they honestly need some work on their end session cues (laughs) because I'll drop some pellets and then they'll like pick up a couple and then start following me again so (laughs) they need some work on that but they're just excited they enjoy the work and that's how it should be yeah I agree and that's how Mimi is too like even during the session I've started taking a lot of breaks like I'll maybe do two minutes of work and then I'll throw some pellets in the pan and and let them eat their pellets as a break and then I'll just be standing kind of waiting for them to come back and re-engage after they eat their pellets that's something that my trainer Rachel does a lot so it's kind of something that I picked up that I think kind of helps them like take a little break and then also if they're done after that and they don't want to re-engage then they can just go and eat grass or whatever but if they do re-engage then that's a sign that they're still ready to keep going and they pretty much always do re-engage but um, Ren and Tiny will like, you know, eat their pellets, take their time, and then they'll come back to me. And Mimi will like eat one pellet and then just like leave the rest in there and immediately come back. And I'm like, girl, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. But also, I guess you just want to train. That's nice. It's just like, I guess it goes back to like contra freeloading where there is something that is more reinforcing about getting the food from 
you know, from the human, from doing a task than from just like having free food on the ground. Yeah, I have the same problem with Pharaoh. So he'll like, like Mimi, he'll eat a couple of pellets and then come back to me. I have to like actually leave the training space if he needs a break. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is okay. And I mean, it's good for them to be able to really understand the end of session cue and to understand that like okay we're done now because I mean I do experience things like when when Ren can see that I'm there she will like start to offer behaviors or go stand by her platform and wait or whatever even if I'm like not engaging with her I don't have my treat pouch on I'm far away from her and like that's not ideal like yes that's something that I should probably work on to where she understands better that like hey this is not when we're doing training. I am not anywhere near you. I don't have treats. Like you don't need to do this. But I mean, it all. It is also good that she is like ready to go. She wants to do it. She's kind of standing there waiting to do it. And you know, you don't want to experience like extinction if they are out there thinking that they're going to get reinforced, even though nobody's there and they're like touching the cone or whatever, and nothing's happening. That can definitely lead to extinction. But I don't know. I think it's complicated. Like it is showing that they they want to be doing that and they're interested in it whereas like if you have a jump course set up in a traditional you know training session there's like your horse is not going to have any interest in those jumps because the jumps are you know something that they don't want to do they're having to do it because they are you know being asked with negative reinforcement to do it and I'm not saying every single horse that does traditional jumping absolutely hates their job. But I mean, the fact of the matter is if you put them in there with no rider and with no reinforcement, they're probably not going to go over and do the jumps. And even though there is a reinforcement history of negative reinforcement, they still aren't going to go and do it. And, you know, with a lot of the positive reinforcement things that we have, it does kind of build a positive association with those objects, even without the reinforcer being there. So like they think it's a good object they're like oh I get nice treats for being here so I'm gonna want to go over here again and so I think that's kind of an element of it as well yeah that reminds me of Kathy talking about the bag chasing again because with Ave again I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right (laughs) but with that horse she said that she did a bag chasing session and then the next day she saw him stomping at other horses like he was the bag And she saw it as like a confidence thing, but I don't really know what was happening in that situation because that doesn't sound like confidence to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. She, and I have it in quotes, so I'm assuming she actually said it somewhere in the podcast episode, but she said that basically he was saying, I can be badass, anthropomorphizing that behavior. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that was something that, I obviously cared enough to put a note on it. (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting. And the fact that you brought up anthropomorphizing, I feel like that's also something we should discuss because I mean, even using the phrase badass at all with horses is kind of anthropomorphizing them. Like we have kind of done in the positive reinforcement world, a lot of work to highlight research and make sure people know that animals aren't bad for no reason. They aren't naughty or bad or mean or whatever they're acting in ways because of you know reinforcement history or you know pain or different different things that can be affecting their behavior they're not doing it just because they want to be bad and so I think using words like badass although I'm not completely against using that word I think it's a little bit um, potentially misleading and potentially 
kind of encouraging anthropomorphizing because I mean, horses aren't doing a behavior just to be badass for no reason. And I think maybe even this focus on intrinsic motivation so much can also lead to anthropomorphizing because I mean, the fact of the matter is we don't even know, we have no clue what a horse's intrinsic motivation is. And we don't know why a horse is performing the behavior that they are performing other than what we can know about the reinforcement history extrinsically. So, I mean, that sort of brings up for me too. I asked an intrinsic trainer, how do you know that it's intrinsic motivation? Like when you're watching your horse do, you know, whatever badass behavior, how do you actually know it's intrinsic motivation and not extrinsic motivation? And this was just one person's response. So it could be that, you know, other people would have a different response. But what she said was that she doesn't know for sure, but at some point the horse often stops stopping for the treat when clicked. And so for her, that's a sign of intrinsic motivation is that the horse is continuing to carry out the behavior even after being clicked when, you know, the, the reinforcement system is that you get clicked, you stop, you get the tree, Well, the horse gets clicked and doesn't stop. They're continuing the behavior. So therefore it, you know, must be the intrinsic motivation more so than the extrinsic motivation of the reward. And I think that's kind of an interesting idea, but I would also kind of worry that there is some very high stress or over threshold things happening that will prevent the horse from stopping for the reinforcer more so than it being like oh the horse is just really enjoying what they're doing and I, I mean I'm not saying definitively that it is stress that's causing the horse to not stop but I think it's very tough when we are trying to base our training off of what the horse is feeling when we don't know what the horse is feeling all we know is what the horse is doing and looking at their actual behavior and looking at their facial expression and their body language. And so if their behavior and their facial expression and their body language looks like stress, but we feel tempted to say, I think actually internally something else is happening. I think that's kind of a very tough area and that's very easy to get wrong and do something poorly with. So that's kind of what I would caution against there. But I'm not, you know, totally saying that it has to be wrong. I just think more research is needed and I would be hesitant to like rely on that in my training without knowing. Yeah, besides stress, I would think that maybe there might be some issues with a hole in the training with yeah. specifically uh, reinforcement receiving behaviors where the horse hears the click and keeps going anyways because they don't think of it as like, a stop and receive reinforcement type sound or whatever. They don't do the marker as, oh, I'm going to get food. And with how Kathy does it, I could see how that could be an issue. So if people are following along in her footsteps, I don't think it's really out of the question that horses could just be continuing the behavior because they don't really know what the click means. Yeah, that's so true because I mean, the click doesn't inherently mean stop and get your reinforcer. It means that because that's what we teach it to mean. I mean, you can create all sorts of alternative reinforcement systems. Like my trainer, Rachel, created a reinforcement system where she has three barrels and they're like in a triangle, sort of like barrel racing. And when she clicks, that means that the horse needs to actually walk to the next barrel and get the reinforcer there. And so she's kind of building an alternative reinforcement receiving system where instead of you know, just stopping and getting fed, the horse knows that the reinforcement's going to be given at this future location. And because of sort of the pattern and the pairing of the, the click with this is the reinforcement 
receiving behavior, then they know that they walk to the next bucket and that's where they get the reinforcer. So, I mean, you can definitely teach that and have it be the reinforcement receiving behavior if you want, and you don't want it to be the stop and, you know, feed them. I think the stop and feed them is a very clean and simple way of doing it. I think that's probably the way that everybody should do it as their first learning and at least as their sort of primary reinforcement receiving behavior. And maybe, you know, you teach a another system later for a different behavior once you're more advanced to know what you're doing. I mean, I wouldn't feel confident teaching my horses an alternative reinforcement receiving system right now because I don't feel that I have the knowledge or the skill to like really do that effectively and to not confuse them or stress them out. But I mean, yeah, I guess like the point of what I'm saying is like you said, I mean, the horse doesn't necessarily even know that they need to stop unless that's what you've taught them. And so if they don't know where their reinforcement's coming from, or if you're using the click without giving them reinforcement and it's not really paired well and they're just like not knowing what's going on, then yeah, of course they might not stop. So it's just kind of, you don't really know what's going on. Again, it goes back to, you don't know why they're not stopping. I mean, it could be any number of reasons why, and it could be that they are really enjoying the activity. Like that's certainly a possibility, but it's not the only plausible possibility, which is the issue. Yeah, it's really complicated because we don't really know what the horse is thinking. We can make judgments based on their behaviors and expressions, but without being the horse, we can't truly know. So because of that, we have to study them and figure out what works best for them and do everything based on what we do know. Yeah, exactly. And I think that sort of sums up a lot of the issues that I personally have with intrinsic. And I think a lot of the issues that you have as well, which is just that, I think it relies a lot on internal factors that we just don't really know. And that's really tough to do properly. You know, even if we're, even if we're accurate about what those intrinsic motivators are or whatever, it's still very hard to properly reinforce those things or to capture them or to even accurately interpret what you're seeing the horse do if we don't have access to what that horse is thinking, which obviously we don't. So that's just tough. But I mean, for people who are extremely skilled, I can see it potentially working well. And, you know, going back to what I heard from Kathy, which is that it's, you know, works better for some horses than others. I mean, maybe she doesn't really believe that. I don't know. But (laughs) supposedly she thinks that, you know, some horses don't need it and other horses, they do need it. So I think that also makes sense. I don't know. I think you know, I would not overall recommend intrinsic, but I also don't think it's all bad. I think there are good elements to it, sort of back to the pain science thing. Honestly, I would love to make a whole episode on pain science and just focusing in on that, like not just from intrinsic, but just like studies on pain science and stuff, because I think that's super important. And I think people need to understand more about pain because, I mean, it's not just as simple as like, oh, the horse is experiencing pain, there must be like a physical issue. And I think that's part of the problem is that sometimes we don't know if they're, you know, if we're just not finding the physical issue or if it's like a memory of pain or, you know, what. And I think that's really tough. But, you know, a lot of what pain science teaches is to take that pain seriously, even if it's not actual tissue damage, even if it's just sort of a threat of tissue damage or remembered tissue damage that's now been healed or whatever so I think that's super interesting and I think that's like um being brought to the mainstream or not really the mainstream but the like world of positive reinforcement at least it's being 
you know, pain science is being, being brought there by Intrinsin. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. And the moral of the story really is that it's way too complicated. <laughs> Everything in horses <laughs> is hard. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much science behind positive reinforcement and just not nearly as much in Intrinsin. That's not to say there's not good aspects of it. I think there are really good things to take away, but it's not something that I would gravitate towards or encourage anyone else to. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think that, you know, along the lines of what I just said as well about intrinsic taking pain seriously, even if it's not actually due to physical tissue damage, I think that is true. But now that I'm also thinking about it, I would also say I worry a little bit that intrinsic could cause people to overlook pain because of the fact that, you know, sometimes when there is very good presence of a physical issue, intrinsic's kind of go-to is that the movement is, is what is needed instead of any medical treatment. And I'm not saying that intrinsic is anti-medical treatment or whatever, but just sort of to give an example from Kathy to illustrate what I'm saying here, so I don't, you know, misconstrue what intrinsic is all about, um, Kathy talking about her horse Dreamer, who's the one that you also told a story about, and he's also the one who was the one who would run through the gate in the other story that I told. But anyways, he was apparently diagnosed with EPM, and you know that involves a lot of neurological tests to be diagnosed. I don't know exactly how the neurological tests work, but it's like you know a physical test to like see if they can perform certain movements, and if they can't, then that shows that there's something wrong with their brain. It's not like a you know. It's not like um, taking like a blood sample or anything. It's like a, a movement behavior type of assessment. But anyways, um, Dreamer failed those tests and was diagnosed with EPM. And then, you know, 10 years later, Kathy actually found out he didn't have EPM and all of his symptoms got better and he was no longer failing the neurological tests. And, you know, after increasing his movement and working with him with Intrinsin, that sort of went away. And so I think you know, a story like that is really interesting because it, I think, highlighting movement as a factor in, in improving horses kind of physical health is very important, but also a story like that could potentially cause you to overlook the physical symptoms. And, you know, if your horse gets diagnosed with EPM, you could be like, oh, it's fine. I just need to get him to like do some badass movements and then he's going to get better. And it's like, no, sometimes it really is a medical thing that like really needs treatment and just you know, doing intrinsic isn't going to fix that. And so I think like the stories are very important and, you know, I'm not saying that it's bad for Kathy to have that experience or share that story. I would just also say along with that, we don't want to take those stories and say that, you know, just doing some intrinsic will fix everything. Cause I mean, I don't even think that's what Kathy's intending at all. I don't think that's what anybody's intending, but I do think the stories can come across that way if you kind of take them badly. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And one of the statements I had in my notes was she said something along the lines of, you don't need to know the science behind the training. And I think that also along with the thinking intrinsic can just trying to fix everything. Obviously, I don't think that was her intention, but people could take it away that way. I think that the same is true with thinking that they don't need to know the science because that's already an issue in the animal training world. People don't know the science and there's no regulations, so people can just do whatever they want and get paid for it. And it can yeah. be damaging. <laughs> can be really damaging to not only the animal, but also the person who eventually takes them home. So I I didn't like that statement. That was it really threw me off. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that part of what is so great about positive reinforcement is that there is so much access to the science about it. I mean, there's, you can literally Google and there's so many scientific resources that you can find. There's studies, there's all sorts of like easy to understand articles summarizing studies and, you know, different resources made by trainers who studied that science. And um, there's just a lot out there that you can get that's sort of all from all sorts of different sources that kind of helps you access the science and really learn about it and understand what you're doing. And I think part of our criticism back of the natural horsemanship um, in that episode was that it's so sort of branded under a person and it's so like, you know, unscientific in the sense that they're like, this is the quick fix method by Clinton Anderson and, you know, just do this method and it will be great. And they're not explaining to you why that actually works or you know, any actual science. They're just saying like, oh yeah, Clinton did this and it worked great. So you do it. And I mean, I know a lot of even natural horsemanship people don't like Clinton Anderson, even though he is technically often considered natural horsemanship, but even like somebody like, I don't even know who are other natural horsemanship trainers. I just try to block them all out of my head. I don't even know. Like Monty Roberts, if you're like, oh, Monty Roberts, he like is, you know, having this method or whatever and it just works because it's the Monty Roberts method and it's like no that's kind of sketchy and the good thing about positive reinforcement is that although we do have big name trainers who are well known and who have some of their own methods like it often all goes back to really being centered in the science and none of those trainers are trying to kind of like tell you it's their you know personal invention they're usually explained to you how it's based in learning theory or how it's based on some other person's past scientific work that came before them so I mean I think grounding it in the science like that is so cool and Kathy does that with the pain science but I think you know her pain science is sort of separate as well from her training um and I mean it's not her pain science she's sort of just sharing information it's not like she invented it but she sort of is bringing it to the horse world which is really cool um, but I think, you know, having like a good scientific explanation of pain doesn't mean that a training method works or anything like that, or that a training method is science-based because there's not as much science there to really back up the training as there is the pain stuff. Yeah, that would be really no different than like a saddle fitter saying they know how to train horses because they know how to fit a saddle. Yeah. <laughs> completely separate things and both are important, but they don't really go together unless there's an issue with saddle fit, but that's, that's a little different. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, I feel like we've kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to be too rude towards Kathy because she's very nice. She follows me on Twitter and she actually leaves comments on like a bunch of my tweets and I always like her comments and they're always so good. Like she um, usually says stuff that I really agree with that I think is really insightful. And I think she you know, in general is on the right track. I think she really, you know, has experience. She knows what she's doing and she is trying to make a difference in the horse world where a lot of people kind of just sit back and watch and don't do anything. So all of those things are really positive. And she really, one thing that she said that I really appreciate is that she said she really values the voices of like younger people in the industry because they don't have as much of the traditional baggage that a lot of people her age have. And I think that's really cool because I think a lot of the time younger people in the horse industry are also kind of overlooked and they're not seen as knowing as much, even though kind of having, you know, not that we're a blank slate, obviously we still have traditional backgrounds as well. And we 
um, don't have as much experience as some older people have. But still, I mean, we have a lot to offer. We have a new perspective. And a lot of us are very, very invested in learning and science and whatnot, more so than like your average person. So we're going to hopefully know more than your average person. And I think she recognizes that. So that is, you know, something really cool from her that I appreciate. So you know, like we have criticized her and we have criticized her method. And I think that that is all fair because, you know, we're a podcast that focuses on horse welfare and training. And we kind of want to discuss topics like this, but also there are a lot of positives there. And ultimately, I mean, a lot of this does come down to our opinion. It is science-based, but it's still, a lot of this is up to personal interpretation since like, there's not as much science about it. So I don't know, I guess I just want to like disclaim that or kind of add that in because I think she is a really cool person and she has a lot to offer. It's just that some of the things we don't necessarily agree with. Yeah, and I don't think there's really an issue with that. I think there needs to be discussion when there's things that are kind of controversial. And it's not to say Kathy's a bad person or that intrinsic is all bad. It's just, I don't think all of it is rooted in science. Yeah, I completely agree. And honestly, it would be so cool to like have this discussion with intrinsic people too. Like, I don't know. I mean, I have to think Kathy has more important things to do, but if she did want to come on the podcast, that would be so cool. Like I would love to talk to her and be able to ask her some of the questions that we have about it and some of the concerns and even just like hear like what she has to say and even talk about some of the points that we agree on. So it's not like we're just like, oh my God, we hate intrinsic and we think Kathy's horrible. Like I actually really think that she has a lot of interesting stuff to say. I would love to have a conversation with her. And, you know, like I said, she probably has more important things to do, but she does follow me on Twitter and comment on my tweets. So Kathy, if you listen to this and you want to come on the podcast, send me a Twitter DM. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be really cool to see her perspective because obviously neither of us have really dove into intrinsic with our own horses so our opinions and perspectives are purely from a positive reinforcement background Mm -hmm. I agree I think it's definitely I mean we all have sort of like a specific lens through which we're viewing things and there are reasons to believe that the positive reinforcement lens is a good one such as the study that I previously cited that explains that clicker trainers are more likely to be able to identify accurately horse facial expressions and body language stuff like that you know leads you to believe that perhaps positive reinforcement is a good lens through which to view things but ultimately like everybody has their own method so yeah it is our opinion i hope you enjoyed this episode of click treat repeat Feel free to check us out on Instagram at clicktreatrepeatpod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.